Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. What's up, guys? So um, tonight, uh, I'm, I'm really... I'm really not here to preach. Um, not really going to preach. So, love preaching, uh, and preaching is uh, an important thing. Has a important place in the life, in the regular life of the church. And certainly, this is an environment in which preaching would be wholeheartedly appropriate, as you guys experience that uh, on multiple occasions uh, in this space. But tonight, I, I'm, I'm not going to be here preaching um, because I. I want to instead tonight um, just kind of come here uh, with with an offering. Uh, that's a, the, the beautiful thing about an offering uh, is that I offer it uh, if I offer it rightly without any expectation. Uh, it's something I just put on the table for you, and you can take it uh, or you can leave it. You can like it or you can dislike it. Uh, you can ignore it or you can pay attention to it. You can do whatever you want with it um, because when I leave here. Uh, I will have done the only thing I know how to do, which is offer it. Um, and then the rest is, uh, you know, yours. Uh, you're grown-ups. So that's the joy, isn't it? Uh, that you get to kind of pick and, and choose what you do with it. And, and that's the nice thing about an offering. Uh, what makes uh, uh, this particular offering a little different than a sermon, because a sermon in some ways, uh, uh, to preach, is to offer something as well. What, what makes this different, the reason I call it an offering, a personal offering, is that uh, tonight, I just want to share with you guys um, for a little while um, uh, a few things that I have found in my life have been so profoundly foundational and central to the freedoms that I experience in my life uh, that you would just know them. Hey, FYI, for what it's worth, these realities, these truths, these discoveries, these, these things that I live by, uh, th- they have over a long period of time made the biggest difference in my life uh, as far as who I am and where I sit today so that where you sit, uh, you might look uh, through the eons of time that lay before you to where I sit and go, gosh, maybe, maybe there's some, there's some things to take away from this because I, I turned 50 this year, five zero, which means my kids on their summer break attend this room. <laughs> so... We're in a little bit of a different place, you and me, right? Uh, I'm at the end of some of my stories. Not to say that I'm about to die. I do sometimes hope that. Um, but, but more to say that there are, there are as many parts of my life, listen to this carefully, there are as many parts of my life that I wondered about for a long time that I don't have to wonder about anymore because I'm there now as they are still waiting to be wondered about. What I mean by that is this. Throughout the last 20 or 30 years, I lived certain ways hoping that they would translate into good fruit. And I don't have to hope anymore. I'm here now and they have translated. And I can either say, nope, didn't work or yep, worked really well. So for example, the raising of my kids. I had ideas about if you do these things and you don't do these things and you have these rhythms and you don't do these rhythms, then it should be that this is the kind of relationship you have with your kids. And then I did that and now my kids are 24 and 22 and 20 and I can look at the relationship I have with them and go, huh, turned out I was wrong or huh, turned out I was right. 
So now when I say things to people, it just comes from a different space. And that's my offering tonight. My offering is to offer you, um, probably in my estimation, the most central truths that have shaped the way I have lived, continue to shape the way I live, and they've worked. That's what I'm offering. It's like they've worked, they've worked like magically. It's unbelievable. And I'm like, if I could like come to you and go, I beg you, pay attention to these things because they've worked, I would do it because I'm now sitting here and going, oh my gosh, it worked. And it turns out actually that the central truth uh, from which some of these other things I'll share tonight are born from or to which they point is found in the book of Galatians, which is kind of why uh, God sort of led me here to just come to you with, a, with an offering tonight, uh, because it turns out that uh, I would argue besides the fact that, that I know the gospel, so obviously the gospel hopefully is the central truth, but, but besides knowing that who Jesus is and what he's done for me and who I am in him, as far as living my life out and, and why and how I live, uh, probably the single biggest truth that I live by is in Galatians. So I love the book of Galatians. You guys have been in the book of Galatians for a little while now um, here. Uh, you've come to its end. Um, but I love the book of Galatians for a number of different reasons. But what I, what I do enjoy so much about it in part is that it uh, is at the very beginning of uh, Paul's journey of expressing the gospel. You know, by the time you're, you're looking at Paul writing books like Ephesians or First and Second Timothy, he is, he is now writing books and the truths he's, he's placing in those books are sort of these truths that incorporate all of the journey he's had of understanding the gospel. But in Galatians, it's kind of a, it's kind of a first run. You know what I'm saying? Like something happens, he's sort of brand new at this and the spirit of God empowers him and carries him to, to, to say, just tell him this. And, and this, this letter is born. And, and out of this letter, of all the things that the first expression of Paul writing about what the gospel tells us not to do or tells us to do, it launches in with this entire letter about rules, about right and wrong, and about how dangerous rules and right and wrong can be if it is misplaced. Legalism is the word we use. That, that's in its essence what this letter is about. Like, oh my gosh, whatever you do, please, I beg you in light of what Jesus has done and who he is and who you are in him, do not pursue a life of trying to live right and wrong, trying to live rightly as much as possible, because if you do that, then fill in the blank. God will like you, he'll be pleased, you'll be safe, you'll have a good life, et cetera, et cetera, if you just get it right. And so be obsessed with rightness and be afraid of wrongness and live rightly and all will be well. And it's odd that that's where he starts, but it's also beautiful because at its foundation, you would think that religion, a religion, a, a faith-based reality would by its definition be about some right things and some wrong things. And so the very first letter Paul writes is like, it's not about right and wrong. Not about that. Like if that's what you're living by, not about that. And so as you read this letter, you kind of go through the letter and toward the end, you're sort of feeling that like, well, if it's not about right and wrong, like that, that I should abandon the notion that I should look at life through the lens of right and wrong all the time and try to do what's right and try to avoid what's wrong, then what does that mean? 
Does it mean that really right and wrong doesn't matter? That I, that I should ignore it? That I should just kind of do whatever feels right or seems right to me? Like, what, what, is it, what does it all mean? And it's in that space that Paul, in the book of Galatians, kind of throws this little thing on the table that profoundly has shaped the way I think about life. And it, is, it has been something uh, probably I quote more to myself and probably to others than anything else in scripture, honestly. Like this, this, little, this little verse. And it's found in Galatians 5, uh, verse 1. And it, and, it, and it simply says this. It is, it is for freedom that he has set you free. Like it's, it's for freedom. Like he set you free so that, so that what? So that you'd be free. Why, why did he die? So, so that so you'd be free. Why did, he go, why did he go through the whole redemptive process? So, 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 so you could have freedom. So you could be free. Like not bound, not dead, alive and free. That, that's that's why, he, why he did it. Did he do it because he needs an army of servants that can, that can go into all the world and preach the gospel? No, he didn't do it for that. Because then he would have written in Galatians 5, it is for the work that God intends to do and needs an army for that he set you free. But he didn't write that. Is it because he wanted a set of children that behave well? Because then he would have written that. It is is for obedience that he has set you free. Then we would say, he has set me free so that I will obey. But but that's not what he wrote. This is, is, do you guys know Saving Private Ryan? Just out of curiosity. Because sometimes I, I use these like movies I love and I'm like, I'm 50, that one doesn't play anymore. You know, like, like, so you guys know Saving Private Ryan, right? I'm, I'm, I'm telling you for a long time in my life, like early on, I sort of had a Saving Private Ryan mentality. Uh, what I mean by that is, remember at the end of Saving Private Ryan, uh, you know, he's, he's dying and he gave his life up for this, for this kid, Ryan, you know? And what does he say to him? Like, for goodness sakes, I gave my life so you could have yours. Don't waste your life. And it's beautiful, it's romantic, it's amazing. The saddest movie I've ever watched, I think, in terms of a person living their life miserably is that one. Because at the end of life, there's this old guy, Ryan, and he's like, I've lived my whole life obsessed with trying to like honor his death. And I'm like, wow, what a miserable life to live. You were never free. You were bound by the obligation of somebody else's good towards you. And I I felt like that for a long time with Jesus. It wasn't so much about trying to do what's right for self-righteousness. It was like, if he's done that for you, then by golly, wouldn't you want to, you know, live live well for him? But that's not what Galatians 5.1 says. I, I set you free so you could live well for me. It says this, I set you free so you could... Be free. So the, the first paradigm that shifted for me as this verse became more and more profoundly like, what the heck to me? You know, like, what the heck? Who does that? Like, who sets me free? And then, like, you're free. What, what do I owe you? Nothing. What do I do? Don't care. Be free. And what if he says that? Just be free. Be free. The more you live freely, the the more you honor what I've done for you. There's the first paradigm. The more we live 
freely, the more we glorify God. The more we live freely, the more we honor God. The more we live what he died to give us, the more we honor his death. You honor his redemptive work by chasing freedom. It sounds weird, doesn't it? You're like, where's this going, man? You're like, I'm gonna go out here and just kind of do whatever the heck I want. And that's kind of what that sentence implies. I know it does, because Paul has to write about it in just a few verses where he's like, FYI, if it sounds like it implies this, it does, which is why I'm gonna say this now. He doesn't even say it doesn't imply that. He says, nope, that's it, that's it. What I want for you, God says, is that you would chase freedom. That you would live not through a lens of right and wrong, but that you would live through a lens of bound or free. Is this creating bondage or is this creating freedom? This next decision I'm going to make, this next next action I'm going to take, this next thing I'm going to do, is it a pursuit of freedom or is it a pursuit of being bound? And if you are pursuing right and wrong, you are pursuing bondage. That's what Galatians says. Self-righteousness or lawfulness is a weight the human soul cannot carry because we were tainted by sin. And so it becomes condemning instead of helpful. You can't live up to the righteousness of God. So if you try, you fail, and that becomes binding and hard, and you are not free. So it's not living by rules that is freedom. So where does right and wrong come into play? Well, it comes into play in a fascinating way and it remains not about right and wrong as it comes into play. We define right and wrong by things that you know, are right. <laughs> that we, like somebody says they're right, there's a rule somewhere, your parents said it, the Bible says it, I don't know, society says it, this is right, and then this is wrong, and, and we apply right and wrong to that, and we have our own set of things we believe right and wrong. But if you really, if, if you believe God and who he is, then, then you know that we find what we call right and wrong from where? I'm holding it as kind of a clue to you so that you're not like, what is he talking about? From his word, right? Or really from him. You just happen to say it here by his spirit. We, we know he has a way and he says his way is, we have a word for it, right? And then there is a way that's not his way and what's that way? Wrong, okay? So it is natural for us that our paradigm would be, well, know the way of God and do what's right and stay away from the way that's not God and don't do what's wrong. But in Galatians 5, he says, it's the pursuit of freedom that brings me glory. The more free you are, the more glorified I am. So go live freely. The question becomes, what is freedom? What is freedom? What is freedom? Because if you don't know what freedom is, then you don't know what you're chasing after. You'll chase after things thinking you're chasing freedom and you're not chasing freedom, you're chasing bondage. You'll chase after things thinking you're chasing life, but you're not chasing life, you're chasing death. So if you don't know what freedom is, then you don't know what to chase. And so what's beautiful about the scriptures and in fact, the book of Galatians and in fact, the fifth chapter and in fact, just the first 13 verses is that In this little letter, Paul defines for us what chasing freedom looks like. And then he expands on it through a boatload of other letters he writes that are in here. 
And it's just an unending, beautiful adventure into what freedom looks like. And here's where he states what freedom looks like. So in Galatians chapter 5, I already told you verse 1, it is for what that Christ set us free? Freedom. So we glorify Christ most when we pursue freedom, when we chase freedom. And then he says this, verse uh, 13. For you were called to, guess what the word is? Freedom. What were you called to? Freedom. Fascinating sentence, isn't it? Look what he says. I set you free so you can be free. So what is my calling on your life? To chase freedom. He literally writes it. For you were called to, it's weird, isn't it? You would think it says obey, or you would think it says honor, or you would think it says, I don't know, serve. You were called to, how many of you guys, I was called to serve Jesus. Well, that's me. I was called to obey him. Yeah, me too. It's not that you weren't called to those things. It's why those things are part of your calling. That's interesting. They're part of your calling because your calling is to be free, to chase freedom. And when you understand what freedom is, then because you're chasing freedom, you're going to do a lot of right things. Not because they're right, but because you will begin to understand what chasing life is and what chasing freedom is, and you will start abandoning chasing stupidity. Not because it's wrong, but because it's binding. Not because it's wrong, but because it's deadly. So he starts with a sentence, um, you know, for you were called to freedom. So it's almost like Paul saying, we got that, right? So what does that mean? Brothers, only do not use your freedom or your idea of freedom, your concept of freedom, the broad nature of freedom, freedom. Do not use the idea of freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The, the way scripture uses the language flesh is not God's way, right? Our way. Uh, we have lots of words for it, sin or brokenness or, or, or uh, you know, disobedience or, or temptation. All those things, they tie to what you sort of blanket by the flesh, the way of man, the way of man, your way, my way. Do not, do not confuse freedom to what feels like freedom to you. Do not pursue the things that feel like freedom to you just because they feel like freedom. Some of the things that feel like freedom might be freedom. Some of the things that feel like freedom might not be freedom. You don't know. Because what you feel is freedom is, it's, 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 a, it's a roll of a dice. It's a crapshoot. You don't know. So don't take your idea of freedom and just pursue that. Because that's going to get you nowhere. What you want to do is you want to pursue something else. Some, something else. What is this other thing that is freedom? Listen to this. But through love, serve one another. What the heck? Like just, just like, I, I, I'm offering you how, how it all kind of happened in my head over like a period of a couple of years. You know, each encounter, I'm like, I mean, we read it like, oh yeah, that's it. You know, freedom is loving each other. But I mean, honestly, is that, is, really? Have you tried to love another human? They're freaky creatures. Very hard to love. You like get married to one of them and then it gets harder. 
because you're around them all the time and they don't like you very much because you're super weird and hard to love. And then, and then you have these things called children and holy smokes. And then it's like this entire journey of like loving a human. I got to do it. I got to do it. You know? And I mean, they've got to love their parents. I mean, do you love your parents? You're like, yeah, kind of. Like just, just loving people, is, it does, does it feel like, like that's it? I'm chasing freedom, loving people. So when I read that first, I'm like, I don't understand, God. Lots of things feel like freedom. Lots of things feel opposed to freedom and loving other humans feel as opposed to freedom. Because it also kind of feels like, but if I'm gonna use my freedom to love or serve others, then, then, then in some ways it feels like I'm binding myself to your needs and, and your stuff. But, but look what he does. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Think about, think about this sentence, it's insane. The whole law, like all of it, the entirety of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, the, 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 the rules and regulations, the historical church has come up with that align with Scripture. The whole law, everything that you can put under right, all actually exists under one singularity, one idea, one pursuit. Don't you just feel lightened by that? It's not about knowing all the rights and all the wrongs. It's about the pursuit of one idea, one thing, one thing. And that's this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So he just kind of, he just kind of puts this on the table. We, we were set free for what? Freedom. freedom. So therefore we're called to freedom. So if we want to honor God, we should pursue freedom. And then he says this, but freedom's not quite what you think it is. It's not pursuing whatever makes you necessarily feel free because again, you're confused, I'm confused. And sometimes it is and sometimes not. It's actually about having the mindset to say, if I do everything that I do with the idea of doing what is best for another human, then I will inevitably do things that are God's way and they will set me free and them free. I won't have to think about something in terms of it being the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. I'm gonna get very practical here for a second because this is how it's measured my life. This is how it started measuring my life. Like I started, I started thinking about things that are right and wrong and started to kind of back, like reverse engineer them and go, okay, let, let, me, let me put it into this paradigm. When I choose to consume alcohol and I choose to consume too much of it so that it impacts or affects the way I think, is that right or wrong? Too much, you get drunk. Getting drunk, right or wrong? It's not a confusing question, right? The Bible, what does the Bible say? Not a good idea, it's wrong. So I shouldn't get drunk because it's wrong. And what Paul says is no, wrong reasoning. Wrong reasoning. That will never sustain that choice. If you're simply saying I shouldn't get drunk because it's wrong, I mean, I'm the king of justification. In fact, I was sort of born with the idea that if someone says it's wrong, you should test the you just check it out. So, so I'm actually the opposite. You tell me it's wrong and it becomes immediately non-sustainable because I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna try it. So the fact that something is wrong 
is a very bad reason to avoid it. Why would we avoid being under the influence of something so that we have no idea what we're doing or saying? Because there are other humans on the planet and every single time we are outside of our right mind, the unpredictable nature of what we would do to hurt others is massive. Hey, you don't understand, I'm a fun drunk. Yeah, I hear you, for a time. But we know what alcohol has done to the human race. And so God says, if you care about others, then you'll stay in your right mind. If you don't stay in your right mind, you don't give a crap about others. And if you don't give a crap about others, then you're not going to create freedom and you're not going to experience freedom, which means you're not going to chase freedom. You're not doing something because it's wrong. Um, you know, having sex. I mean, I'm just like, as I thought about life, like, you know, sex is fun. Take it from someone who's married and enjoys it. So I'm just telling you, sex is not bad. It's a ton of fun. So does, I mean, God designed us, wow, hello. Yeah, and there's a reason you want to do that because it's a ton of fun. And it does all sorts of things that's really amazing. It also produces children, which are not a ton of fun. But I'm just saying, <laughs> just saying. So I, mean, I love them, but they're not a ton of fun, okay? Um, but sex is a ton of fun. And, and sex, sex ties to the experience of human connection and love. So when you fall in love with someone, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. I'm feeling it right now, right? And uh, you, you haven't decided to make this crazy promise that says, no matter how horrid you become, I'll stick with you. I'm just, I'm sorry to break your bad news. But like, just to say, I'm, I'm in this. It makes sense, doesn't it? That, that you would engage in connective and beautiful things that bring life. But then God says, I mean, the idiocy of it, you know? Don't do that. Right or wrong to have sex before marriage or be sexual before marriage. Uh, it's wrong, the Bible says it's wrong. I promise you, it being wrong will sustain nothing for you. You will be overridden by the joyous feelings of grand and wondrous love. And then you will work tirelessly not to do that horrible thing because it's wrong. And then even if you get it right not to do it, it'll be like this miserable binding experience where you're like, we're trying so hard, I so badly want to love you in all the ways humanly possible, but Jesus said it was wrong, so I guess I'm gonna try not to. And you'll have all the long talks and you're all like, been there, done that. But if God says, when you take something from someone that is a gift they are going to offer to a person who's going to promise to love them forever, you steal something from them and from the person someday. I always say it this way to my kids. Someday you're going, you know, you're going to marry a, a woman or a man. I've got four boys and four girls, so you know, I've got both, right? So someday you're going, to, you're going to marry someone. And when they, so I tell my boys this all the time. And I just tell my boys this because, you know, I'm a dad and these are my boys. And my boys are more like, you, you, better, you better do life and freedom and not stupidity and idiocy. My girls are like, if the boy touches you, call me, I'll kill him. So like the girls, it's more like protective. The guys, it's more like, you touch her, I kill you. But, 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 and that's all joking, but here's what I actually tell them. I tell them someday, the girlfriend you have is gonna be married to a man. Might be you, but that's a, listen to this, kind of crazy, right? 
You know, well, you know what the percentage is of marrying the person that's your like sweetheart? 5%, 5% of those make it. You got a 95% chance that the person you're dating, you're not gonna marry them. So they're gonna marry somebody else. And then someday you're gonna be in a mall somewhere and you're gonna bump into each other, awkward, right? And they're going to say to their husband or wife, oh, this, this is Renaud, he was my boyfriend, the one I told you about. And as that husband sticks their hand out to shake your hand, what are they thinking? Are they thinking in their head, thank God you were her boyfriend. Thank God you were her boyfriend. She told me about you, how you honored her and protected her. You didn't steal things that were hers and mine, not yours. You, you loved her well, even though I'm sure there's lots of ways you wanted to love you well, but you didn't. And you're gonna shake that guy's hand. I mean, you, he's gonna shake and you're gonna be like, oh, we call that life and freedom. Here's the opposite experience, right? They reach out and shake your hand because it's polite because their wife is right there. And in their head, they're thinking, if we were alone, there'd be nothing left of you because I know what you did with her. You stole and it's been difficult for her and difficult for me. We've gotten past it. It's been redeemed, but you cared only about yourself while you were saying you cared about her. I'm not sharing this to try to convince you to have sex or not because then, we, we, then we're right back where Paul said not to be. Renault's giving us all these deep thoughts so we won't go, no, no, what I'm trying to show you is this, that the decisions we make that seem to be about right and wrong, they always turn out simply to be about whether they create life, whether they create death, whether they create freedom, whether they create bondage. And when what we're thinking about is how what I'm about to do will create life for me or for others, freedom for me or for others now or in the future, then we will make decisions because we love other people. And we will make decisions because we know that when we love other people, it creates freedom. And I am a child of God set free to be free. And I'm called therefore to freedom. And when I pursue freedom, I honor God. I do not honor God by doing what's right because it's right. I honor God by doing what's right because it's free and because it creates freedom. Money. I mean, money. So, so all these things, these are actual ways I lived. I'm not even kidding. Like, this is how my brain worked. Like, when I was dating Brooke, I mean, you've seen my wife. If you haven't, when you see her, you will understand what I'm about to say. Like, I mean, there was a lot of things I wanted to do with her while we were dating. Sex was definitely one of them. I mean, you're like, what? No, I did. I'm hoping she did too, but I'm not so sure because she had to overcome the fact that she was marrying down and I was marrying up. But... Men like, yes, but this was in my head. This, this that I'm telling you was in my head. I thought about the hands I would shake and whether that would bring life and freedom or, or death and destruction. And I made decisions as a pursuit of freedom, not a pursuit of, of bondage and death. And because I made those decisions, they were sustainable. And because I made them, guess what happened? It turned out to bring lots of life and not lots of death. It worked. It was hard, but not, not even hard when it was about life and freedom. Money, money. I mean, you live in a country where you can have whatever the heck you want. You just have to borrow. Like if you don't know that by now, you'll figure it out soon enough. Everybody wants you to borrow their money because when you borrow their money, you'll pay them for borrowing their money, but you can have whatever you want. So Brooke and I made a decision very, very early on that if the Bible talks about how to handle money, we're just as stupid as it may sound, we're just gonna do it that way. 
Like as, as insane as it is, as restrictive as it is, for our first 15 years of marriage, I drove cars that were given to me. We could afford to buy cars insofar as we had good credit. So we could go get a car and have a car payment. And I'm not saying car payments are bad. Don't hear me say that. Because the last thing I want you to do is walk out of here with a whole set of lists of rights and wrongs not to do, because then the entire premise of everything I'm saying will, will, have, will have been lost. The point is, I believed that if we chose to handle our money the way God says to handle it, even if many times handling it that way wouldn't produce what felt like freedom. Let me say that again. It wouldn't produce what felt like freedom. In fact, it would produce what felt like bondage. So I would say, if I was looking to my flesh, this is not a pursuit of freedom because that nice shiny car that I can have, that's mine, the car dealer said, this is a cakewalk. You can have it right now. Drive it off the lot, interest free. I can have it. That would be freedom but I'm driving this piece of crap someone handed to me because it stopped working for them and now it stopped working for me. I can't tell you how many, how many cars I've driven that you had to open the door by rolling down the back window and reaching around and using the outside handle. That's not even a joke. I had a car that I would dare you to try to steal because to start it, there was a sequence of using the clutch and gas and brake and turning the steering wheel at a certain degree for all the wiring to actually work for the thing just to start. There were many years, not months, years where we chose what felt restrictive because it was a way God said to live. And now we are in our 50s. And I cannot begin to tell you what it's like to have the financial freedom we have, Brooke and I. We can do just about anything we want. We're not wealthy. And I don't make a massive salary. You're like, oh my gosh. We just stayed out of debt our entire lives. And so we have freedom. It's crazy. I was at the doctor this week. I'm turning 50. And um, I, I go for biannual uh, physicals because most people don't do that, especially at my age, because they're idiots. Um, and what I mean by that is that they're idiots, but I also mean it this way, <laughs> is that it's, it's all that stuff we do. I, I don't want to go because I'm going to find out stuff, you know, all the stuff my friends say. I'm like, no, no, I, I'm going. So I was, act, I was actually at the doctor yesterday for the like report. I did blood work two weeks ago and they like check everything, the whole gamut. And you know, I've, I've done crazy crap like colonoscopies and you're like, please, no, why? And I'm like, because I'm not gonna be the idiot that dies, dies of colon cancer because I wasn't checking, that kind of stuff. Like I, that's how I think. Do you know why I think that way? Like, so I go to the doctor yesterday and this is what the doctor says to me. He goes, you know, if I could draw a line for all the optimal levels of what a person should be, the line would look exactly like your line on the blood work. Do you know why that is? Because I'm genetically super healthy. No. No, because you know, you know how Brooke and I think about what goes into our bodies? The way this talks about it. That's how we think about it. I'm not talking about an obsession. I love ice cream. I eat ice cream almost every night. So if you're like, I, I don't like vegetables. Yeah, me neither. I don't like them at all. I've, I've tried for years, still don't like them. Green, if it's green, I'm like, why? It's a leaf, why would you chew on it? But yet I eat green things all the time and I eat vegetables all the time and I enjoy lots of other sweet things, but I have percentages and I break it down a certain way and 80% of my diet is one way and only 10% is the other thing. And America does not function that way. America says fast, easy, quick, and tasty. And tasty is, and I'm not, again, watch where I'm going with this. 
we could talk about right and wrong, good and bad when it comes to what you put into your body. But I've just chosen to put into my body for years and years and years now because of my wife. This one was not really one I chose. She kind of made me do it. And now I choose it. And because I did, like I don't go to the gym a ton and work out a ton. You know what I do? I get home after a long day's work. I live on three acres. We have goats and chickens and gardens and crap that I didn't want. My stupid children wanted it and my stupid wife wanted it. And I say that with great love for both of them. Neither of them are stupid. It just feels that way when I have to do all the feeding of the stupid animals, right? So when I get home, most of my evenings, like even Sundays, when we're like, I hope you get home and nap some. I'm like, are you stupid? Like, have you seen my life? Oh, what, what, what TV program have you watched recently? Uh, who's the boss? Remember that one? That was the last time I watched, like, no, I watched some TV, but very little. I don't watch, I don't have time because I've got to get out in the yard and carry 50 pound bags of chicken feed and stupid. And you know what God says? God says, get outside a ton. Get your hands in the dirt. Be physical. Break a sweat every day. Put the right things into your body and not the wrong stupid crap. Enjoy some of the wrong stupid crap. Your body's designed to handle some stupidity, but not a lot of it, right? And if you do that, if you do that over time, what does it lead to? Freedom. 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 That's it. I don't drink 15 pills to keep myself doing. And I'm saying, I'm saying that to say, I've got a lot of friends, and in the category of this, they are not free now. They're 50, and they're not free anymore. They were free when they were 25 because they could get away with it, and they stayed getting away with it because it felt like freedom. And, and now they're paying the price. And so here's what I've been discovering my entire life. And now I'm 50 and I can't wait to figure out for the next however many years I've got, hopefully like two or three. But if it happens to be 30 or 40, oh well, uh, I'll do it. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep this run. If he says it, I, I, I'm gonna trust this about it. Not that it's right, but that it's freedom. And when I do it and it doesn't feel like freedom, I'm going to ignore my flesh that goes, this doesn't feel like freedom. And I'm going to say, yeah, I read Galatians 5.13. And it told me you were going to say that. It said you were going to say, this ain't freedom. Freedom is expressing myself, being whoever I want, doing whatever. No, 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 no. That turns out not to be freedom. Freedom is trusting that whatever the heck God said is free. Now, let me finish out my thought process. And, and the reason I'm finishing out is, Everything I'm sharing with you right now, you, you can see that no notes or anything because this is like walking around in my house and showing you the rooms in my house. This is literally how I think every day. I'm, I'm not even kidding. Like this, is, this, this stuff I'm telling you, I live every day in this. Whenever I want to do stuff, I don't ask, is this right or wrong? I'm like, where does this take me? Where does this go? What does God say about this, right? So, so here's the deal. Jesus, to set you free, what did he do? Yeah, so we have words for it. He died for us, you know, on the cross, beautiful, you know, he, like when you read about what he did for us, like even in an eternal perspective, the father and son separated, torn apart, sin coming upon him. And we could, we could go into this and it gets super ugly, super fast. The magnitude of what he took on to set you free is, listen to me now, unimaginable, which means you are not able to comprehend it even if you tried. That's how, that's how deeply terrible it was. Tell me what part of logic would say this, that the one who gave everything to set you free would then tell you stuff that would bind you. That would be insane. 
Like that would be the height of idiocy. Can you imagine someone who went to that height to set you free and then his big plan was to give you a bunch of rules that would bind you and keep you from enjoying yourself? Like it suddenly dawned on me, like if I believe that, then like that's the height of illogical idiocy. So which means this, either he didn't do all those terrible things to set me free. He's not who he said he was. Jesus doesn't exist. Or if he does, he's a lunatic. I am not in Christ. And in that case, ignore this entire thing and do whatever feels like freedom to you. Or he is who he said he was and did what he said he did. did in which case, if he said it's the best way, he didn't say that because it's right. He said that because it would set me free. It's the only reason he would have said it. If he tells me what identity should be, then I stick to that. Now, there are things in the Bible, just a little side note, that I've come to conclude, you will as you study, that I might be wrong about, you know? Like the Bible says certain things, people say, well, how do you, how do you, how do you know that, the, that you're interpreting it correctly? And I always tell them this. I'm not like 110% sure. I'm like 98% sure. I, I, I don't come to conclusions without a ton of study. Can I say crap here a lot? My wife isn't here right now, and so she's always, like, it's just in my head, like a crap load of study, right? And I just say that because there's a certain urgency to it. Like, I'm like, I, I dig in, but I might conclude wrongly. But what I'm responsible for now in this is that if I've concluded that he said something, as long as that is my conclusion, what should I trust? If he said it, then it is freedom. So I'm gonna do what I believe he said. And if I find out I had it wrong by his grace, then what will I immediately start doing? The other thing, right? But the point still remains the same. If he said it, I'm doing it. If he said it, I'm, if he said handle your money this way, I'm doing it. If he said not to do this, I'm not doing it. If he said to do this, I'm doing it. If he said abide, I'm abiding. It doesn't mean I'll get it right every day. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm just talking about the reason you pursue these things shouldn't be because they're right or because they're wrong. The reason you should pursue them is because their life or their death, their freedom or their bondage. Uh, we have a swimming pool at my house. We've had a swimming pool the entire time we've lived in Florida. So that means Hadley, who's now 23, 4, 24, 20-ish, 20, 3-ish. Yeah, I've got eight kids. It's typical, okay? Uh, she was three years old when we moved to Florida, so we had a pool then. Cullen, who is now 20, he was born in California and was five weeks old when we moved here. And he's 20 years old now. So from the time he was five weeks old, he lived in a house with a pool. Do you know what I put up? A pool fence. And I remember so many times watching Cullen, especially when he was two or three years old. He's, you know, six foot seven now. So he doesn't even have to jump over the pool fence. He just sort of steps over it, right? But when he was little, three years old, he would take a chair and he would scoot the chair up to the pool fence. And then he would climb on the chair and raise his little arms up and grab the top of the pool fence to try to get over the pool fence to go in the pool. Do you know why? Because he went in the pool with me when I was out there. And how fun is the pool? Super fun. How fun is the pool for a three-year-old going in by themselves? Super fun for about the first 45 seconds. Just as fun as going in with dad. And then a little less fun when they're on the bottom of the pool going, huh, breathing down here is not quite the same as breathing up there. And then very not fun. And then if nobody comes and rescues them, binding and deadly. here's what I leave with you as an offering. This thing with all of its rights and wrongs, not about right and wrong. They're about pool fences from a dad 
who knows when you should enjoy the pool, knows how to enjoy it, knows when you should enjoy it by yourself and when you should enjoy it with him and when you should enjoy it with others and when you shouldn't. And he knows when to tell you, stay behind the pool fence. You go in the pool this way. It might feel good for 45 seconds, but you end up on the bottom dying. And I have just decided a long time ago that I'm gonna believe that about everything God says. I'm gonna screw up. I'm gonna get it wrong. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a fool and an idiot. And I have been plenty, so welcome. But, but the pursuit isn't, God, I wanna to try to get it right. It's if you said it, it's freedom. I want after it. And I'm now 50. And every single thing I've trusted him on in the longevity of pursuit is turning out to be nothing but freedom. So I'm gonna live the rest of my life believing what Paul said in Galatians. It is for freedom I've been set free. I'm called to freedom. So I'm gonna chase freedom. And here's how I define freedom. Whatever he said is good and right, that's freedom. And whatever he said is stupid, that's bondage. Whatever he said is right and good, that's life. And whatever he said is stupid, that's death. Not right, not wrong. Life and death, freedom and bondage. And I am a person called to chase after freedom because he has given me freedom. So you watch me do a crap load of right. Not because it's right, but because it's smart and it's free. Do what God said, trust him. And one day when you're 50, very, very long time from now, you'll get to sit somewhere with somebody else and say, trust him, everything he tells you to do his way turns out to be freedom. Let's pray. God, thanks. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Thanks that you didn't come to set us free so that we will uh, be a, an army of servants or so that we will be a, 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 a gaggle of children that are obedient or so that we will honor you with our lives to live them rightly because you died for us. You set us free so we could be free. And then you gave us the way of freedom and we turned it into rights and wrongs. What silliness when you've always made it about life and death, always about freedom and bondage. And God, I pray for these folks in this room that um, every single time, like I have done many times in my life, they walk into believing for a moment or a few moments or a few months or a few years that their way is more freedom than yours. And then they find themselves not in freedom that you would remind them that the way you've designed this whole thing to work is that the second we decide to start following your way again, it begins immediately to unravel bondage and bring freedom again. We can literally live in stupidity and bondage. And then when we decide to trust you again, you begin to undo it. God, what a thing that there is no point in our life, no extent to which we've been foolish or chosen our way, that we are not sitting on the edge of a pursuit of freedom if we will just start trusting your way again. So for all those in this room that are living your way right now in some part of their life and it doesn't feel like freedom, it feels like heavy and hard and the culture is telling them they're idiots and 
they don't have all the fun trinkets that everybody else has, or they don't experience all the fun things everybody else says they're experiencing, would you give them a deep sense of affirmation that if they're trusting your way, it's going to get them somewhere that is going to feel exactly like freedom because it's going to be real freedom. And for those in this room right now that are, are choosing their way, like I have many times in my life, and it's feeling very good right now, very free. Would you just, would you just come alongside them and whisper to them, it doesn't matter that it's wrong. I'm just sad that it's binding you. God, remind them that your heart for them is not that they're doing something wrong and you're mad. It's that they're doing something stupid and you're sad. Because you made them for freedom and you want them to be free. And then God, invite them to chase after you again. Because abundant life waits. Not in some secret pixie dust you're going to spread all over them because they pray for the abundant life. But by simply the beauty of choosing your way versus ours. And God, for those here that are doing things that are not your way, and they don't feel free. Oh, they feel fully the weight of how stuck and terrible that is, but they believe somehow that it's too late, too much, too far. They're too bound, too stuck, too much shame, too much darkness. They just, they've done it once, now what, what's the point? Would you come alongside them and say, oh, you don't know me very well? I am ready set you free every day. Just when you think there's no freedom for you because you've been foolish, I will show you the way to freedom if you'll just trust me again. God, lead us all into a place where we trust that following you, trusting you, believing you in your ways is life and freedom. And help us to do it by your spirit so that we can glorify you by being free, not by being right. And when we see our brothers and sisters doing stupid things that aren't right, give us the wisdom not to go to them and say, that's wrong, stop it, but to go to them and say, I'm sad for you, because that's binding and deadly, and I want you to be alive and free. Come back with me and chase freedom. Chase God. Show us the way. And give us the strength to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards Him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.